It certainly does hurt. But if all of you Christian Pharisees, Catholic Israelites, and closet universalists would only read the scripture and believe it and repent of your evil ways, it would hurt a lot less. Hello, this is William Fink. This is the Christogenia Open Forum. It is Monday, July 4th, 2011. I don't know if we should celebrate Independence Day or mourn it. We should probably mourn it. That's all I'll say about that.
You know, I received the latest um, New Ensign magazine in the email yesterday. And in the editorial, Eli James explains that the Hebrew word for salvation, and I will quote, and, and I will quote one sentence from it, because that one sentence does very well fit the, the um, spirit of Eli's entire editorial. Eli says, concerning the Hebrew word for salvation, it always, and he stresses that always with capital letters, refers to the physical welfare and preservation of the people of Israel. He actually got that part right. It doesn't always refer to that. It most of the time does refer to that. Eli is mostly right. Salvation for Israel means preservation in this life. The spirit which God gave to man is eternal. It does not die, ever, period. Get over it. If you can't face up to that, you probably don't belong in Christianity. Go be a Buddhist. The word salvation also means a return to this body of flesh in a perfected state for all Israelites who have died. And Paul explains that at great length in Romans, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's evident in many other places in Scripture, including at Job 19.25, where I quote, Job states, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes behold, and not another. Though my reins, meaning organs, be consumed within me, in the grave, but ye should say, why persecute we him, seeing that the root of the matter is found in me? Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is judgment. And Job understood that that judgment would be remembered in the, in, in the future and permanent life to come, where he says that he knows he will stand in the last day in his flesh and see his Redeemer, which is exactly what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So fully, salvation means the preservation of the race of Israel in this era, in this age that our race would be preserved. But it also means the resurrection and the resurrection of the entire race because all Israel shall be saved. Because all the seed, all the offspring, no exception, shall be justified. Isaiah 45.20 Because every manner of sin shall be forgiven men, as Christ states. 
and only our race has that promise of resurrection and eternal life because only our race has the Spirit of God. So salvation is both temporal and eternal, and that's what it means in the Bible. It does not always mean preservation in this life only. Even though in his editorial, Eli claims that salvation is exclusive to Israel, he already said in that editorial that salvation, quote-unquote, always refers to the physical welfare and preservation of the people of Israel. Yet, in his paper, in, in his Beast of the Field paper, Eli goes on to explain that the non-white races are to be preserved and to be blessed. In the first article of that same magazine, which appears immediately following the editorial, where Eli wrote an article entitled Beast of the Fields, Part 5, Eli states the following. Since hybrid offspring are not guilty of any sin, Yahweh will not punish them for that alone. Rather, they will be allowed to die off. I don't know how the hell you tell a nigger not to fornicate and not to multiply. Hybrids are not themselves guilty of sin. They aren't, uh, by, by their creation. I mean, they didn't do it. Eli's right about that. But if hybrids procreate, their very act of procreation creates other hybrids. And that's sin. But let me say, and this is an important concept to grasp, Yet the very existence of hybrids is sin. The existence of hybrids is sin because it's violation of the law of kind after kind. Their very existence blasphemes Yahweh, the spirit God of Genesis, who told us that everything is after its kind. The existence of hybrids Eli's forgiveness of hybrids is basically blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Hybrids are evil by their very existence because their very existence is a violation, is a transgression of the laws of Yahweh our God. We'll never get it straight until we see that. Eli wants to let hybrids go and die off somewhere, what which what we've seen just doesn't happen because they keep hybridizing. Joshua Christ said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. So Eli denies Joshua Christ. Eli is creating a different gospel because he is ashamed of the real gospel. Eli goes on to say in his, in his article, the blacks will go back to Africa. We heard him say this on, on Talk Show on, on, um, on January 23rd on The Voice of Christian Israel. He said again in his editorial, the blacks will go back to Africa, the orientals will go back to China, the Mexicans will be sent back to Mexico, 
And then he says, the Jews' rally Viper State will be wiped off the face of the map, and we Adamites will keep the lands that Yahweh has given to us. And there will be peace and prosperity everywhere after Adamkind gets restored to the condition intended for our parents, Adam and Eve. Eli is a universalist. Eli already defined salvation as being preservation in this life. Here, where the Bible says that that salvation is only for Israel, Eli is saying that that salvation is for everybody. And then, speaking out of the other side of his mouth, he claims not to be a universalist. Eli likes to say that I misrepresent the things that he says. It's in plain writing in his latest New Ensign editorial and his latest New Ensign article, The Beast of the Field, Part 5. Eli James is a universalist. He defines salvation as preservation in this physical life, and now he offers it to the blacks, the Orientals, the Mexicans, and the Chinese, and whoever. The Mexicans are mixed by their very definition. Everybody knows they're hybrids. They admit they're hybrids in their own name. Eli would save them. The Mexicans will be sent back to Mexico, and there will be peace and prosperity everywhere. Tell me Eli James is not a universalist. If A equals B and C equals B, then A has to equal C. There's no way around that. that that's a mathematical law, right? I mean, it's, it's written in stone. <laughs> Ezekiel tells us that all of these people who have surrounded and invaded the lands of Israel shall be destroyed in those lands. Ezekiel tells us that it will take seven months for us to bury the bodies. Eli's message... I'll call it the Gospel of Eli, is carefully crafted universalism. And it is not much different than Roman Catholicism under the Jesuits, where the church intended to rule over all the other races through the imperialism of the Portuguese, the Spanish, and the French. Look at Portugal and Spain and France today, and the results of that folly are obvious. Christ tells us that from the kingdom of heaven there shall be gathered of every race. And out of them all, all but the sheep, the good race, go into the lake of fire. Eli is trying to tell us that there are other kinds of fish besides those which are either good or bad. Eli has invented a gospel crafted to make the world and the CI message comfortable for Manzers, I will have no part of it. Eli should also explain himself where he states the following, and I quote, If Mr. Emmeheiser has a different interpretation of Matthew 15, 22-29, let him declare himself. By the way, that passage concludes with the words, O woman, great is your faith. Be it given unto you even as you will. 
and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Even though she was a dog, not an Israelite, would that all of true Israel had that kind of faith. Yahshua did not say to her, Go to hell, you're a Canaanite. Given what I know about Jews, I'm still quoting Eli, however, I doubt that more than one-tenth of one percent will bend the knee to Yahshua Messiah. And those who do will have a very high percentage of white DNA as opposed to viper DNA. I would ask Eli to explain that, because it seems to me as if Eli is once again trying to save some Jews. As he was on January 29th on Sword Brethren's program, when Sword Brethren had to inform Eli that people who were 85% white were indeed not white. Gray is not white. Why is Eli always trying to leave a crack in the door for people with Jewish blood going through their veins? I guess it wouldn't have anything to do with his real last name. Eli would see some Jews bend the knee to Yahshua. But Yahshua has an answer for them, where he said, Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not from where you are, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. One ounce. One, what one molecule of Jewish blood, Eli James, makes you a Jew. Because you're a broken cistern. Once that DNA code is corrupted, you are a broken cistern. You are, as the Apostle Jude says, twice dead. Meaning that once you're dead in the body, there's nothing left in the spirit either. Because you don't have the spirit which Yahweh gave to Adamic man. And since life is through the Spirit, by no means can you have that life which is to come, because the life is through the Spirit. That alone rules out your idyllic your, your, your invented, contrived, idyllic world of Adamic men and women ruling over two-legged beasts of the field. Which is a backdoor to universalism, which we've always failed at, which is not the stated purpose of Scripture. Eli's article, Beasts of the Field, Part 5, has all of the usual sophistry in it. And, and, and the word games Eli likes to play but where we, something means one thing in one article and it means something different in another article. He's also still setting up the straw man arguments that, that he sets up and argues against in Clifton's name. In effect, 
putting words in Clifton's mouth. It'll never, his sophistry will never stop. The shame of it is that there are probably a couple of good people in Christian identity that still can't see it. And that's because they don't study. And, and that's a damn shame. Warrior son of Daisy, I'm talking about you. Okay, last week I presented the first seven chapters of Paul's epistle to the Romans. With that presentation, we saw, along with plenty of corroborating scriptures from the Gospels, from Acts, from Peter, from James, and from John, convincing proof that Israelites under the New Covenant are not going to be judged by the Old Covenant law, and neither should they judge each other by the Old Covenant law. Rather, we must understand that we have all failed in some aspect or another regarding the law, and we accept the favor of Yahshua Christ, who is merciful towards those of his sheep who love him. Yet the law, as Paul points out in that epistle, should nevertheless be our ideal. And we as individuals should seek to adhere to its principles as being the will of God for our perfection, while in the flesh, in the flesh alone, we cannot be perfect. We are never going to be perfect. Of course, the scoffers, after that presentation, the scoffers remain scoffers. The week before last, when I did a presentation on marriage, they denied the plain evidence which I elucidated from Genesis chapters 3 through 5. And now they scoff at this. Yet they have not refuted the scripture which I discussed. Rather, they have only scoffed and made ad hominem attacks against me. They run their mouths, and that is all they have. Now they even claim that I somehow threatened them because I called them Pharisees. Only a girly man would whine so much. Pharisees is what they are. They reduced my nearly two-hour dialogue, which was all taken from full chapters of Scripture. They reduced it to simple statements, such as, so you can commit adultery so long as it is with white people. As I said last week, that is the same exact tactic which the Jews of the first century executed against the early Christians, where in answer to them, Paul addressed the fact that we should not purposely sin simply because we would not be condemned for our sin. So these scoffers, Mouthy Patricia and the two circus clowns that she leads around by the testicles, they have allied themselves with the first century Jews, and they also deny the plain meaning of Genesis. I have often myself said, in, in sometimes rather vulgar language, that, that if you insert certain members into a woman and she's a virgin, she's your wife, and if she's not a virgin, she's somebody else's wife. And that is, without doubt, the strict meaning of the law. But it does not help us as we move through life 
and surely today, and, and I will prove that, and, and surely today, if we suddenly all adhered to the law, none of us would be able to have children. That's the way it is. This world, as I have said, was conceived, this age was conceived when our first parents fell from grace in the sin of adultery. Today, as the Apostle James tells us, we are all adulterers, and we are all deceived by that same serpent that Eve was deceived by. And there's not one person, one white man on the face of this earth, who can admit never having been deceived. Or who can boast about it, I should say. By this world, which we are forced to live in. Therefore, the Apostle James tells us, we are all adulterers. Because we all, at one time or another, have loved this world. Here we shall see much the same. And, well, let me get back to what I said about Genesis. Eve was Adam's wife. They were betrothed. There's no evidence whatsoever that they ever had sexual relations. Satan entered into Eve, having seduced her, and had sex with her. And Cain was the result of that. Adam also accepted Eve after that relationship. And Adam also ate of that same fruit. That caused Adam's fall, his acceptance of Eve and her sin, after she had been deceived. As Paul tells us, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived when the transgression occurred. Adam knew what he was doing. He chose his wife over God's law. The resulting punishment was that Eve, Eve's desire would be to her husband. Eve and Adam had a marriage and a sexual relationship after Eve had been violated, seduced by the serpent. The serpent, according to the law, was Eve's official husband. Now, if Adam had sex with Eve before the serpent came along, well, then nevertheless, the law of divorce, Deuteronomy chapter 24, was then violated because Adam should have never taken Eve back after he found her in a state she was in. He should have never accepted her sin. So there's no doubt that the first Adamic family, they began their relationship in the same sin which most of our people are in today because having been deceived by the serpent, they thought that they could practice what, what's called in the mainstream as sex outside of marriage. Of course, we know in the law of God, there is no such thing as sex outside of marriage because sex is marriage. Where I differ with the scoffers is what happens from there. If a woman has nobody attached to her and another man takes her, 
That's his business. It's between him and God and that woman. Paul supports that, but he supports it very indirectly. Paul talks about, and, and he's writing in his letter to Timothy, and this is off the top of my head. I have no notes on it. Paul's writing in his letters to Timothy, and he tells Timothy that they, he should take in widows. And Paul makes a statement that's very telling. He says, those who really are widows. And then he goes on to talk about how younger women taken in by the church may go around and, and seduce the, the, um, the men of the assembly. And, and that's exactly what would happen. A young, unattached woman who was no longer a virgin and not really a widow, as Paul is telling us there, would just end up seducing the men of the assembly, being taken in and supported by the assembly at a young age. Paul is basically not expecting those women to go off and die. And in ancient Greece, if you really knew anything about ancient Greece... It, it was very difficult for a woman to accumulate property, to own property. Women themselves were property. Rome was a little more liberal. Not much more, but a little more. A woman could had, had a little easier time inheriting and owning property in Rome. But a woman who was not really a widow wouldn't have any property to inherit. From a cultural viewpoint, and Paul darn well knew it when he wrote his epistle, those women would have to go get married again. They'd have to go find another husband. I'm sure Paul's not expecting those women to go off into, um, and into the forest and die. But Yahweh, I believe in his providence, testing us, left some of those issues open. And Paul didn't really explain exactly what those women who were not really widows, as he tells Timothy, he didn't explain exactly what they should do. If a woman's not attached to a man, you know, these, these, these scoffers, these Pharisees over this marriage thing, they, they like to say that you should go back and find your first spouse. Well, that would be violating the law of divorce. For a man to take back a woman that he had, who after another man had her, would be an abomination to Yahweh, as Yahweh explains in Deuteronomy 24. And, and um, if a man and a woman have a relationship and the woman's deserted, Christ says, he who puts away his wife and marries another causes her to commit adultery. It's not ideal under the law, but it's just a, a fact of life, as we've had it throughout our culture for several thousand years, that a young woman is going to have to find herself a husband so that she could keep a house and, and basically help her husband, and, and in that manner would this husband support her. And Paul knew it, and Christ knew it, and that's why they made those statements about those who are really widows, and about women who were put away 
being caused to commit adultery, because Christ knew, from the practical standpoint, that a young woman who was put away by her husband would be forced into the arms of another man. And technically, by the law, yes, she would be committing adultery. But Adam and Eve went on. After Adam accepted Eve, Adam was stuck with her. Your desire will be to your husband. And they went on and they had sons and daughters. And Yahweh preserved that race, the race of Seth. And we have all, this, all white people have descended from them. Yahweh even found Abel, who was conceived while, after Eve had been violated by the serpent, Yahweh found Abel to be righteous. Yahshua Christ says, the blood of the righteous Abel. Yahweh put his stamp of approval on a sexual relationship between Adam and Eve, even though Eve had been violated and had a baby by the serpent. Yahweh put his stamp of approval on their continued proliferation, on their continued sexual relationship and reproduction. And the people that are scoffing at me and trying to set me out as a hireling because I use that example from Scripture as my guide in this present day, well, well, that they basically deny the plain meaning of Genesis. And they expose themselves to the frauds that they are in denying the plain meaning and, and the plain circumstances of Genesis. Because they judge me and they don't judge Yahweh the same way they judge me. They're actually holding me to a higher and different standard than they're holding God to. And of course, I could never meet that standard. So, okay, I'm guilty. What can I say? They're clowns. That's what I could say. That's all they are. David, David, lusted after Bathsheba. And he wanted to take her to wife. So he had her husband put into a predicament where he was certain to, to, to sooner or later be killed. Right on the front line of every battle. That could wear a guy out, I'm sure. Especially the way they fought back then. And it did. Uriah the Hittite, which I believe means Uriah the Courageous One, fitting his nature, went to the front lines of every battle as he was commanded until he was killed, and David could have his wife. That's adultery. David used the technicality of the law and, and his power as king to get around the letter of the law, but basically he committed adultery. Furthermore, he violated the law of the, um, of the kinsman redemption. Because it should have been left be before anybody from outside of Uriah's family took Bathsheba to wife. It should have been left to Bathsheba's next to, to, to Uriah's next of kin, according to the law, 
Well, David circumvented that law, too. He just didn't pay any attention to it. Well, Yahweh punished David for that by telling him that the sword would always be upon his house, and indeed it was. However, from the union of David and Bathsheba, were born both Solomon, who Yahweh anointed king, and Nathan, one of the ancestors of Christ. Actually, Solomon and Nathan were both ancestors of Christ, according to the Gospels. So we see again that the scoffers don't really know their scripture. They think they do because they, that they understand a couple of Old Testament laws in a very narrow context. They don't even know the law of the virgin that they think they know, which states that if a man, if, if a man finds uncleanness with his wife, he may take her back to her father, and, and then the parents would have a chance to prove whether or not the maiden was a virgin or not. It does not say in the law that if the woman is not a virgin, that the man has to take her back. It does not say that in the law. So these turkeys that this mouthy Patricia and, and um, schlock trader Dan, the, the stock trader, the usurer, I'll call him the usurer, and, and um, Jeff, Jeff Westover, that they're basically... Hold it, trying to hold all Israel to a higher sexual standard than, than Yahweh himself. <laughs> Which is just incredible. And, and we're not even under the law, as, as I demonstrated last week. And as I'm going to continue to demonstrate today, I know some of the things that I just said, and, and I probably wasted about half an hour saying it, some of the things that I just said are merely repetitive from things that I said the last two weeks, but I had to... Um, I had to reiterate them. I, I just had to. Okay. Last week I talked about, from Romans chapters 1 through 7, Israel's relationship to the law in the New Testament. And today I will continue with that by covering the epistle to the Galatians. Here we shall also see much the same which we saw last week on Israel's relationship with the law in Galatians chapters 1 through 6. I really have not had time today to make any cross-references. However, this will be fairly easy to understand without them. Paul, an ambassador not from among men nor through men, but through Yahshua Christ, Paul got his commission directly from Christ, even Yahweh the Father, who has raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren with me, to the assemblies of Galatia. All I'll say about the Galatians is that they were Celts. They were Israelites of the dispersion who came back in the 3rd century B.C. into Anatolia, and, and after a war with the um, with Pergamus, 
the Italic kings in Pergamus that they they were given much of the ancient land of Phrygia to settle, and and that's how we have the province of Galatia. It is related to the the Gauls of France, and and the Greeks called all of the Germanic tribes Galatahi in the fourth and fifth centuries BC. Say it to you in peace from Yahweh, the Father and our Prince Yahshua Christ, who gave himself on behalf of our errors in order that he should deliver us from this present wicked age in accordance with the will of Yahweh our Father, to whom is honor for eternity truly. I am astonished, seeing that so quickly you are changed from he who has been calling you in favor of the anointed, in the favor, the grace given to Israel, the favor of the anointed, to another good message, to another gospel, which is no other, except there are some who are agitating you. Paul is addressing the Pharisees. He's addressing the Judaizers. He's addressing those Judeans who were going around telling Christians that they had to take on the circumcision and keep the laws of Moses, as we saw last week in Romans and in Acts chapter 15. This is all in context with the Scripture. Which is no other except there are some who are agitating you and who wish to pervert the gospel of the anointed or of the Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should announce a good message to you contrary to that which we have announced to you, he must be accursed. If you don't believe that every plant which Yahweh planted, which Yahweh did not plant, shall be rooted up, not sent off to a retirement home, but rooted up, you must be accursed. Just as we have said before, now also, I say again, if anyone brings you a good message contrary to that which you have received, he must be accursed. Now therefore, do I persuade men, or do I persuade Yahweh? Or do I seek to please men? Yet if I were pleasing to men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Don't let your pastors tickle your ears. Or tell you that the world is safe for mansers. Now I point out to you, brethren, the good message which is announced by me, that it is not according to man, neither from man have I received it, nor have I been taught, but through a revelation of Yahshua Christ. For you have heard of my conduct at one time in Judaism, that I had exceedingly persecuted the assembly of Yahweh, and had endeavored to destroy it, and had... Paul had, had thought he was doing the right thing by putting down a heretical sect. Paul was not at that time familiar with the Gospels and the teachings of Christ and the prophecies in, in that context which had predicted his coming. And had advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries within my race, being a more excessive emulator of the traditions of my fathers. Paul was more studious than his contemporaries and had a higher degree of esteem in the traditions and the Old Testament laws. 
But when it pleased Yahweh, who selected me from my mother's womb and called me through his favor, predestination, to reveal his son by me, that I announce him among the nations, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor had I gone up to Jerusalem to those who were ambassadors before me. Rather, I departed into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. That would be about 36, B, 36 AD. To relate an account to Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But the other ambassadors I saw not except James, the brother of the prince. Now the things I write to you, behold, in the presence of Yahweh, that I do not lie. After that I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but I was unknown in appearance to the assemblies of Judea. They hadn't seen him. Paul hadn't spent a lot of time in Judea. Which are among the number of the anointed. And they were hearing only that he who persecuting us at one time is now announcing the faith which he once endeavored to destroy, and they supposed that Yahweh was within me. Then, after 14 years, 47 A.D., approximately, I had gone up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, probably 46, taking Titus along also, and I had gone up after a revelation and laid upon them the good message which I proclaim among the nations but privately to those of repute, lest in any way I strive or have strived in vain. Paul is telling these people the gospel that he was preaching to the people of the nations. Yet not even Titus, who with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised by those privily introdu introduced false brethren who infiltrate to spy out our freedom, freedom from having to keep the letters of the law, which we have in Christ Yahshua and the rituals, in order that they may enslave us. To whom not even for a minute did we yield in subjection, at which the truth of the good message would persevere for the sake of you. Now, from those reputed to be something, whatsoever they were then, makes not one difference to me. Yahweh does not receive a man's stature, therefore to me those of repute are conferred nothing. But on the contrary, having seen that I have been entrusted with the good message of the uncircumcised, just as Peter of the circumcised, the gospel to the uncircumcised and circumcised, the apostles at an early time realized that it was necessary to approach the gospel message differently to people that were of dispersed Israel and really personally knew nothing about the Law and the Prophets. They had to approach those people differently than to the people who were born and raised in the Law and the Prophets. There was a big difference in their attitudes and their opinions, and they really needed a different approach. Of course, that doesn't count for Jews today. They're not Judeans. They're not Judah or any other tribe of Israel. He who has been operating within Peter for a message of the circumcised has also operated within me for the nations. Parenthetical statement, verse 9. And knowing the favor being given to me, Jacob and Peter and John, 
James and Peter and John. Those reputed to be pillars had given right hands of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, that we are for the nations and they for the circumcised. Only that we should remember the poor, the same thing which I had then been anxious to do. The apostles in Jerusalem were in dire straits financially. But when Cephas, Peter, had come to Antiochia, I confronted him personally because he was condemning himself. The events Paul's talking about are found in Acts chapter 14, when certain men from the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem and tried to force the people of Antioch that were converts from among the Greeks and from the dispersions of, of the white race that were converts, they tried to force them to become circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. That's what it says explicitly in Acts chapter 14. But when Cephas had come to Antiochia, I had confronted him personally because he was condemning himself in hypocrisy, as we shall see. For before some who were to come from James, he had eaten in common with the nations, with people of the nations, right? But then, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, being in fear of those of the circumcised. Peter was afraid of the Pharisees. And also the rest of the Judeans had acted with him, so that even Barnabas had been led away by them in hypocrisy. In other words, once you commit to, to eating with uncircumcised people, you better not the next day change your mind about that. You've already committed to eating with them. Once you've committed yourself to a woman and had sexual relationships, virgin or not, and then you pull away and tell her that you can't do that, you're a hypocrite. You're the same kind of hypocrite that Peter was that Paul's explaining here in Galatians chapter 1. It's the same thing. The ancients had a very strong idea of commitment. Once you were committed to something, you kept in it. But when I had seen that they did not walk uprightly according to the truth of good message, I had said to Cephas before them all, If you, being a Judean, live like a foreigner, not like a Judean, how do you compel the nations to imitate the Judeans? In other words, how do you try to go along with these Pharisees who want the nations, the people of the, the, the dispersion, to become circumcised and obey the laws of Moses? Acts chapter 14. These two scriptures go hand in hand because that's what Paul is talking about. We, Judeans by nature, and not wrongdoers from the nations, people that never had the law, knowing that a man is not deemed righteous from rituals of law, if not through the faith of Yahshua Christ, we have then relied in Yahshua Christ in order that we would be deemed righteous from the faith of Christ and not from rituals of law, since not any flesh shall be deemed righteous from rituals of law. Now, if seeking to be deemed righteous in Christ, we ourselves are also found to be wrongdoers, then is Christ a minister of failure? Certainly not. 
We know that we can't keep the entire law. We are going to fail. We had better seek the mercy of Christ instead than seek our righteousness by trying to keep the law. Because we're going to fail, as James said in his epistle, in one point. We are going to fail in one point, and then we are liable for the whole law, as James said in his epistle. He who would keep the law yet fail in one point is liable for the whole law. We had better seek our righteousness in the mercy of Christ, because we are all sinners. We had better pray that we are not judged by the law. As I elucidated last week, if you seek to be judged by the law, whether it be righteous or wrong, if you seek that righteousness which comes by the law, you are basically denying the mercy of Christ. For if I again build these things which I have destroyed, I continue a transgressor myself. For I, through the law, have died. The idea being that all Israel was liable to death because all Israel violated the law. So we should consider ourselves in the flesh dead through Christ. In order that in Yahweh I shall live. I have been crucified with Christ. We understand that when Christ died, he died for all of us. Therefore, we should account ourselves as dead and attempt do our best to live for him. Now I live no longer, but Christ lives in me. And that I now live in flesh, in faith I live, because the flesh can't keep the law. In that of the Son of Yahweh, who having loved me, then surrendered himself on my behalf. I would not refuse the favor of Yahweh if righteousness is through law, then Christ has died for no purpose. Chapter 3 O senseless Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Yahshua Christ had been publicly set forth, having been crucified? This only I wish to learn from you. From rituals of law have you received the Spirit, or from a report of faith. So are you senseless, beginning in the Spirit, you are now being perfected in flesh. The law seeks to justify the flesh, if the flesh keeps the law, and we know that the flesh can't. We can't live up to the law. It's our ideal, as Paul's going to explain. Have you been affected by so many things without purpose, and if indeed without purpose? Therefore, he supplying to you besides the Spirit is also effecting abilities among you from rituals of law or from a hearing of faith. Just as Abraham had trusted Yahweh and it was accounted to him for righteousness, then you know that they from faith, they are the sons of Abraham. In other words, out of all of the children of Abraham, those who were children of, of the faith of Abraham are the ones who are his true sons. And the writing having foreseen that from faith Yahweh would deem the nations righteous, announced to Abraham beforehand that 
and you shall all the nations be blessed. Here Paul is setting the scope of that promise that it only fits Israel. Eli James, in his recent New Ensign magazine, Beast of the Field Part 5, used that same passage to try to pass it to Negroes, Chinamen, and Mexicans. Paul is saying that it applies to the nations of Abraham. So those from faith are blessed along with the believing Abraham, for as many as are from rituals of law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed are all who do not stand fast in the writings within the book of the law to do them. Yahweh said that he would fulfill the law and put an end to the rituals, which are basically the judgments of the law. And that in law, no one is deemed righteous before Yahweh is clear, because the just shall live by faith. Now the law is not from faith, but he who practices these things shall have life in them. If you can keep the whole law, you'll have life by it. What man can keep the whole law? That's why we need the mercy of Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse on our behalf, for it is written, Accursed is everyone who hangs upon the timber. And that is in the Old Testament, and Christ did hang upon the timber on behalf of us. In order that the blessing of Abraham would come to the nations at the hand of Christ Joshua, that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak as befits a man, even a validated covenant of man, no one sets aside or makes additions to for himself. Now to Abraham the promises have been spoken, and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings as of many, but as of one, and to your offspring, which are anointed. What Paul is saying here is that Abraham had descendants from Esau and Ishmael and the children of Keturah, and he's comparing them to the children of Jacob and saying that the children of Jacob are the anointed ones. I know that the church tries to take this as a single person, meaning Christ. That is a flawed theology, because right in, chapter right in verse 29 of the same chapter, Paul uses the word heirs as plural. Now I say this, the covenant validated beforehand by Yahweh, the law which arrived after 430 years, does not invalidate by which the promise is left idle. For if from the law the inheritance is no longer from promise, but to Abraham through a promise, Yahweh had given it freely. Yahweh told Abraham that many nations would come out of his offspring. His offspring would become physically, literally, 
genetically many nations, and indeed they did. Most of the white nations of Europe today are almost exclusively from the stock of Abraham. But the Edomites and the Ishmaelites and the children of Keturah are eliminated from that promise. It's a validated covenant that no man sets aside or makes additions to for himself. We can't add to that covenant. Abraham was told his descendants would be as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven. If you start eliminating sinners, Abraham will only have one descendant. That would be Christ. Then why the law? It had been opposed on account of the transgressions. As Paul explained in Romans, the law was imposed so that the sin would be manifest, so that we would be cognizant of our sin. The law wasn't imposed so that we would stop sinning. It's not possible for fleshly men not to sin. In the Gospel, Christ said that it was destined for transgressions to come. It couldn't be avoided. It had been imposed on account of the transgressions. The law was made for the benefit of man, not man for the benefit of the law. For the benefit of the man, when we see the law, we understand our sin. Until the offspring would come to whom he had promised himself. That's a medium voice verb there. This is the promise of the Messiah, Yahweh coming in the flesh to die. Having been arranged by messengers in the mediator's hand, He's speaking of the law. He's speaking of Moses being the mediator. And a mediator is not of one, but Yahweh is one. Therefore, is the law in opposition to the promises of Yahweh? Certainly not. If a law had been given, having the ability to produce life, indeed justification would have been from of the law. But the writing has enclosed all under fault. We all know that we've sinned because of the law. Because we have the law, we all see our sin. But the law cannot prevent us from sinning. In order that the promise from the faith of Yahshua Christ would be given to those who are believing. But before the faith was to come, we had been guarded under the law, being enclosed to the faith destined to be revealed. So the law has been our tutor for Christ, in order that from faith we would be deemed righteous. The law is our tutor. The law is our ideal. The law makes us cognizant of our sin. As Paul said, in Romans, that he did not know lust, except that the law said, Thou shalt not covet. If it weren't for the written law, 
we would be arguing that there's nothing wrong with lust, wouldn't we? So the law has been our tutor for Christ, our ideal, in order that from faith we would be deemed righteous. But the faith having come, no longer are we under a tutor. We are not under the law. For you are all sons of Yahweh through the faith in Christ, Yahshua. For as many of you, and he's still talking about that one set of offspring that these promises were made to, he's only talking to the children of Israel, period. For as many of you have been immersed in Christ, Christ you have been clothed in. There is not one Judean or Greek, there is not one bondman or freeman, there is not one male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Yahshua, but if you are Christ, if you are Christ's, then are the offspring of Abraham, you are heirs according to the promise. Paul is not saying that if you're Christ's, then you're of the offspring of Abraham. That's not what Paul is saying. You have to be of Christ, and you have to be of the offspring of Abraham, and then you are heirs according to the promise. That is what Paul is saying. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 4. Now I say, for, a long, for as long a time as the heir is an infant... He differs not at all from a bondman being master of all. But he is subject to guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. And Paul is using this as an allegory. The law is our guardian, our steward. It taught us what sin was. Just as we also, when we were infants, we were held subject under the elements of the society and when the fulfillment of the time had come, Yahshua had dispatched his son, having been born of a woman. I'm sorry, Yahweh had dispatched his son, having been born of a woman, having been subject to law. He was born under the law. In order that he would redeem those subject to law, buy them back to himself. That we would recover the position of sons. And because you are sons... Yahweh has dispatched the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Father, Father. So you are no longer a bondman. You are no longer under the law, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Yahweh. But while at that time, not knowing Yahweh, you had been enslaved to those who are not gods by nature. Talking about the paganism of dispersed Israel. And now knowing Yahweh, and still more being known by Yahweh, how do you again turn back to the weaknesses and poor elements of knowledge to which from above you again desire to be enslaved? In other words, we are from above. We should not desire to enslave ourselves to fleshly things. You observe days and months and times and cycles. 
I fear for you whether or not I have toiled for you without purpose. You be as I am, and as much as I am also like you, brethren, I ask this of you. You have wronged me in nothing. Now you know that in sickness of the flesh I had announced the good message to you earlier. And of my trial in the flesh, Paul was talking about his poor eyesight. He was practically blind. You did not despise or loathe. The Greeks had a very um, strong importance on physical perfection in their culture. And Paul is actually um, applauding them here for overlooking that in his lack of physical perfection because of his blindness. But as a messenger of Yahweh, you accepted me like Yahshua Christ. Paul is referring to the words of Christ, where he says that he who receives you, receives me. Then what is your blessing? I testify to you that, if possible, your eyes being extracted, you would have given them to me. Therefore, and that's his poor eyesight, right? Therefore, have I become your enemy, speaking truth to you? Not rightly do they envy you, meaning the Judaizers, the Pharisees, who wanted to keep these people under that law. Rather, they desire to exclude you in order that you would envy them. Because we all recognize that they're sinners, that we are sinners, and they are hypocrites. If you're trying to rule over your brother with the law, you're a hypocrite. If you're a usurer pointing fingers at an adulterer, you're a hypocrite. Stock trader Dan should take that into account. My little children, whom I travail once more, until the anointed have taken shape among you, I have desired to be present with you even now and to change my tone because I am perplexed with you. Evidently, these people were persuaded to a great degree that they should follow the Judaizing Pharisees. Tell me, those who are desiring to be subject to law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of the servant woman and one of the free. Yet indeed, he of the servant woman was born in accordance with the flesh, but he of the free by a promise. Paul is, of course, distinguishing Jacob, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac and Ishmael. I'm screwing that one up too, right? Yes, Isaac and Ishmael. Such things are being allegorized, for these are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai having resulted in bondage, which is Hagar. So Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. Paul's just making an allegory here, right? He's not putting um, Hagar and Ishmael under the law, right? So Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is enslaved with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is our mother. For it is written, Be gladdened, barren, be gladdened, barren who is not bearing. Break forth and shout, she who is not travailing, because many more are the children of the desolate than of she who has the husband. 
And we, brethren, down through Isaac, are children of the promise. The promise came before the law. The law does not void the promise. But just as at that time he who was, he who was born according to flesh had persecuted him according to the Spirit, Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. So also now. What does the writing say? Cast out the servant woman and her son, for by no means shall the son of the servant woman inherit along with the son of the free. Well, brethren, we are not children of the servant woman, but children of the free. A study of history would show that the Galatians were indeed descendants of Isaac, through Jacob, through the twelve tribes of the dispersed of Israel, those taken into captivity by the Assyrians. That's where the Galatians came from. There's something more to this allegory, because first, a lot of the Edomites intermarried with Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites intermarried with Edomites. They, they were really, it was to the point where they were practically one people. If you study the Old Testament and see the presence of the Nabataeans and other Ishmaelites in the same cities that the Edomites were dwelling in, in the land of, of, of ancient Edom, south of the Dead Sea, you'll see that a study of the Old Testament will reveal that the Ishmaelites, and especially the people known as Nabataeans, and, and the Edomites were very close and intermarried all the time, and, and basically were indistinguishable. And Esau even took one Ishmaelite wife, right? Well, a lot of those Edomites that were in Jerusalem that were rejecting Christ and trying to make themselves justified under the law, they were also part Ishmaelite by blood. There's something really interesting about the rise of Islam. Of course, this is far after, long after Paul's time. But not all of the Canaanite race became Jews. The Edomites that took on the circumcision and started to call themselves Judeans and later Jews, those Edomites were a very, very small portion of the Canaanite race. The Canaanites, the Canaanites, they had spread themselves pretty wide and far. That They mingled with, well, the Amorites, and, and um, they mingled with the Syrians, the Babylonians, they mingled with the Egyptians, they, the Hittites, right? That They mingled with all the people around the land of Israel for hundreds and thousands of years. Uh, I mean, this has been going on, a, this had been going on a long time. And, and I would bet my own personal bet would be that just about every Arab had Edomite blood in him and, and Canaanite blood in him and Hittite blood in him. And when you look at the rise of Islam and think about that from a scriptural viewpoint, what you actually see is since Islam, that they, they claim the Old Testament as theirs also, and they claim the Old Testament laws to a great degree, what I see in Islam is that the rest of the enemies of God took the law upon themselves. 
and put themselves under bondage of the law, not through Judaism, but through Islam. And they actually all convicted themselves. Galatians chapter 5. And the freedom in which Christ has set us free from the Old Testament laws. If you keep the Ten Commandments, which Christ gave to us to keep, and you love your brother, which Christ told us to do, you are basically not breaking the law. And the Ten Commandments include adultery. And fornic fornication was added to the Ten Commandments by the Apostles, and I explained last week that that was necessary because to the Hebrews, adultery was race mixing. To the Hebrews, adultery was race mixing. To the Greeks, adultery was the confusion of the bloodline. And that can be told very easily from the Greek classics. It wasn't race mixing. It was just the confusion of the bloodline, where if a woman slept with three different men, you wouldn't know whose child she had. That was adultery to the Greeks. So where it, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it's not even truly in the sense in which the, the, um, the, the word to the classical Greeks didn't really have the same meaning that we even assign to it today and that the Christian Pharisees are insisting that it has. Because to the Greeks, adultery was mixing of the bloodline. It was confusion. And for that reason, the apostles had to add and a note about fornication in Acts chapter 15. Because to the Greeks, fornication was any kind of illicit sex which would have included prostitution, sodomy, and race mixing. They were all forms of fornication. The word fornication being porne, a porne was also a prostitute. But fornication is also the pursuit of strange flesh. And we could see from 1 Corinthians 10 and from Jude 7, there's two witnesses right there that fornication is race mixing. And I'm sure there's one more. I just don't have it in my head. Well, the Ten Commandments and don't commit fornication. And love your brother. They're the commandments of Christ in the New Testament. If you keep the Ten Commandments, it's hard, awfully hard to break the letter of the Hebrew law. If you love your God, you won't worship idols. If you love your brother, you won't be trying to sleep with, 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 um, with his wife. In the freedom in which Christ has set us free, you stand fast indeed, and do not again be entangled in a yoke of bondage. Behold, I say to you, that if you should be circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
And I would say that if you try to put yourself under the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you, as Paul's already explained elsewhere, that you'll be judged by the law and not by the mercy of Christ. And I testify to you again that every man getting himself circumcised, that he is obligated to do the entire law. That's a medium voice verb. It's not every man who is circumcised. It's every man getting himself circumcised. Paul did not intend for little babies that couldn't make a conscious decision to be bound to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament law. You are left unemployed or vain, apart from the anointed. Those that in law are tested have fallen from favor. You're rejecting the mercy of Christ again. For we, in spirit from faith, anxiously await the expectation of justice. In Christ, Yahshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision prevail at all, but faith acting through love. Have you run well, you who have resisted to be persuaded in the truth? That persuading is not from he who is calling you. A little leaven leavens the whole dough. I have confidence for you among the number of the prince that you will have no other purpose, and he who is agitating you shall bear the judgment, whoever he may be. If you want to hold your brother to the Old Testament law, you have a problem. Now, for my part, brethren, if I yet proclaim circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then has the stumbling block of the cross been rendered idle? I would even be obliged that those upsetting you were to cut themselves off. Paul made a word play with the word for circumcision. For you have been called on to freedom, brethren, only not that freedom for occasion in the flesh. In other words, we don't sin simply because we have the favor of God. But through love you serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one statement. To wit, you shall love him near to you as yourself. But if you bite and eat each other, one another up, Watch, lest by one another you are consumed. You don't nitpick each other and seek to rule over each other's faith with the law. Now I say you must walk in the Spirit, and desire of the flesh you should not at all fulfill. There's no justification here for, for lasciviousness and hedonism and... and um, sexual orgies, right? The desires, the flesh desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Indeed, these are in opposition to one another. In which case, you should not do these things that you desire. But if you are led by the spirit, you are under no law. Manifest of the deeds of the flesh, such things are fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, the use of drugs, potions, hostilities, contention, rivalry, wrath, 
intrigues, dissensions, sects, envyings, drunkenness, revelries, and things like these, which I have announced to you beforehand, just as I have said before, that they who practice such things shall not inherit Yahweh's kingdom. That doesn't mean that anybody who has done those things is going to hell. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we may all cleanse ourselves from those things in the blood of Christ. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against such things, but they of the anointed crucified the flesh along with the affections, those affections and those desires. If we live in the Spirit, in the Spirit we should also walk. We should not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you have a wife, don't put her away because you want to try to show God that you're keeping the law. You've already been breaking it for how many years? If you have a wife and it, you learn that she wasn't a virgin, that's ridiculous to put her away. You're actually defrauding your wife. You made a commitment to her, and now you're revoking your commitment. You're going back on your word. You are a hypocrite. Brethren, even if a man should already be caught up in some transgression, you, those of the Spirit, restore such a man in a spirit of meekness, not in a spirit of Phariseeism, watching yourself, lest you may also be tested. You should... I'm sorry, this is a... Um, a rhetorical question. Should you bear one another's burdens and in that manner fulfill the law of the anointed? For if anyone supposes to be something, in other words, we shouldn't bear one another's egos or one another's sense of righteousness. If anyone supposes to be something, being nothing, he deceives his own mind. So each must scrutinize his own work. And then he has a boast to himself only and not to others. Jeffrey Westover, you're boasting that you've put your own wife away so you don't commit any more adultery because she wasn't a virgin when you got married. You've broken your commitment to her, and now you're boasting about breaking that commitment. You're boasting in the flesh. You are a self-righteous man. You already have your reward. But they are the anointed, crucified the flesh, along with these affections and these desires. If we live in the Spirit, in the Spirit we should also walk. We should become, not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if a man should already be caught up in some transgression, you, those of the Spirit, restore such a man in meekness, watching yourself, lest you may also be tested. You don't know what's going to face you tomorrow. You don't know the temptation that's going to come upon you next week. 
You start beating your chest in righteousness and the law, and you watch and see what comes down the turnpike. You're going to get run over by a truck. For if anyone supposes to be something being nothing, he deceives his own mind, so each must scrutinize his own work, and then he has a boast to himself only, and not to another. If you think you're righteous, fine. Keep your mouth shut. For each will bear his own load. He who is being instructed in the word must share in all good things with he who is teaching. Do not be deceived, Yahweh is not mocked. Indeed, whatever a man should sow, that he shall also reap. Because he who is sowing for his own flesh, from the flesh he shall reap destruction. But he who is sowing for the Spirit, from the Spirit he shall reap life eternal. Now we should not waver from doing well, for in due time we shall reap without failing. So then, while we have occasion, we should work it good towards all, but especially towards those of the family of the faith, the children of Israel. When Paul wrote this, there were many white people still around that were clearly known to be descended from the Jephethites and the Hamites. Most of those today are indistinguishable from the rest of white people, or they're indistinguishable from the mixed races, because that's what they are. Do you see in how large letters I have written to you in my own hand as many as desire to look good in body these compel you to be circumcised only in order that they would not be persecuted for the cross of the Christ. If you want to put yourself under the law you have the urge to lord it over your brethren with the law For not even they who are being circumcised themselves keep the law, but they wish to be, for you to be circumcised in order that they may boast in your bodies. That sounds like the Jews of today, too. But to me it may not happen to boast except in the cross of our Prince Joshua Christ, through whom the society has been crucified to me and I to the society. Indeed, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new foundation. And as many shall be in line with this standard, peace upon them and mercy even upon the real genetic Israel of Yahweh. Henceforth, no one must cause me troubles, for I bear the marks of Joshua in my body. The favor of our Prince, Joshua Christ, is with your spirit, brethren, truly. I could have continued with Romans if I wanted to. I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Therefore is there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, Joshua, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who are you to condemn your brother? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Joshua has made me free from the law of sin and death, meaning the Old Testament law. For what the law could not do in that it is weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Why won't the Catholics in Christian Israel identity ever understand that salvation promised to all of Israel is promised without condition? My only guess 
is that they all have a personal stake in that statement being untrue, and they want to make Paul, Isaiah, and even Christ himself into liars by twisting their words and trying to deprive Israel of the promises. Okay, this is an open forum. That's all I have to say on this topic, unless somebody has questions or debates or, or um, whatever. I, I hope somebody wants to talk, because um, I, I'm about out of words, right? I mean, I'm talked out. I've been running my mouth plenty long enough. And if nobody wants to talk, I'm going to start singing, I swear. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to bring next week to the table. I don't think I want to talk about anything next week. I think um, if we're going to have an open forum next week, y'all are going to talk about something. So somebody better have a topic. There are a whole bunch of people here. Somebody better want to say something. Wow, nobody's stepping up to the plate. All these people here and nobody's stepping up to the plate to talk. Come on. This is an open forum program. It, it's not supposed to be all me. <laughs> What's up, Bruce? Hi, Bill. I'll never get these open forums to be open forums. Well, um, the... Uh the so-called, uh, so, you know, Judaic social conditioning in us is, uh, and and this uh, this little little uh, thing we call the flesh. You'd call it, we'd call it, you know, the conditioning of uh, society, right? I mean, we've been conditioned by the world uh, growing up, and uh, and so that is society. That 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 fleshly, the, the so-called flesh, you want to call it. That that fights against uh, the the spirit of of Yahweh, and so what's the difference between what's in the world and, and that thing that's conditioned by the world? Is there any difference? Bruce, I'm not even sure if I know what you even mean. Yo, yo, I might be dumb, but you'll you'll have to be a little more explicit for me because um, I, I, I don't know exactly what you're referring to there. The the part of us that wants to compare myself with my white brother, right? I mean, we we've all we all know we've done this before. All of us are none of us are are you know, innocent in that, that area in our lives. We've all compared ourselves with our brethren and lifted ourselves up above each other or wanted to be like them or didn't want to be like them because we had this uh, this this thing in us that is always measuring ourselves against our brethren or always judging, right? And, and that's the way the, the world teaches us is to be constantly... Uh, competing, and comparing, and, and battling with one another. I mean, that's the way we're. The flesh is always uh, 
uh, have strong desire to be something. Well, well, I elucidated last week that we, we should all seek the righteousness that's in Christ and, and seek to imitate Him, but, but we shouldn't seek to rule over each other well, with the law. And, and yes, if you see somebody harming people in your community, you have to separate yourself from that person, and the community should separate that person from the community. There is no doubt. That's the example Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to remove the evil from among you. And that's what you have to do with a fornicating or adulterous or, or, or a, um, a, a child harming or, or whatever, unrepentant brother. And, and you can't allow that to, situation to persist. But if, if you bring home a woman and you call her wife and, and she has no claim on her that, that she's anybody's wife from any man, who is anybody to question you? She's not harming anyone, you're not harming anyone, and it's none of my business where you got her from, as long as you didn't get her from my next-door neighbor. Oh, yeah. A bi that's a, bi a busybody in uh, other people's business. It's kind of like a monkey on the loose peeking through your windows. And uh, uh, when we are nitpicking... Uh, well, well, they are, and, and I'm, I'm done with them now. I'm, I'm going to try not to address them again unless I'm absolutely compelled to. But there's plenty of scripture that shows that these Christian Pharisees are just wrong. They're wrong on salvation, and they're wrong on sin and the law. Because they want to throw their Israelite brethren into hell and let niggers into heaven. And it just don't work that way. That's not what the scripture says. Oh, yeah. Well, even, even with uh, somebody who's uh, stupid and... Uh, who is, who is, who's broken all of Yahweh's commandments like me, uh, I mean, to realize that it's it's not, I can't undo what I've done, but but the, the promise is, according to Christ, being baptized in his death is to cleanse our conscience from guilt, from the guilt of that, and and, and to be a, to live in fear. Not the kind of fear of but don't do those things anymore. I've been trying to jump in here all night, and I realized I had my mic muted. Can you hear me now? Yes. Hello, Mike. <laughs> I really didn't want nobody to jump in until my, my diatribe was over with, right? But you're, oh, you're no, welcome that's to... What I, that's what I tried jumping in was after it was all over. It's... Okay, say hi. Hi! Hello! Well, anyways, I was uh, I was on here explaining something, and I was realizing, oh, you guys can't hear me, but I had um, uh, I was telling you guys about this tea party guy, whatever that uh, here up in Michigan, and and he's uh, he's hip to the whole 9/11 stuff and all the other issues, but he still loves Israel. And it was funny, I ran into the guy today, and um, I, I, it turns out there's a, a, a whole smorgasbord of different sects of churches up here. You name it. Well, he turns out him and his wife are Baptists. So, you know, we've been kind of, you know, associating with these people here and there, you know, trying to warm up to them and see what kind of circles they got around them. And, well, and he, he tried to invite uh, my wife and I to his church today. And, you know, oh, it's so great, and blah, 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 blah. And, 
I was trying to figure out you know, how to tell him, yeah, I don't want to go to your Jew loving church, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he he's always you know he'll he'll talk about the Fed Reserve and nine eleven and uh, everything out there, but we gotta bless Israel, gotta bless Israel, you know, and and obviously not us. He's talking about that Jew land over there in the toilet bowl in the Middle East, but and so I I decided, well, you know, how can I this guy doesn't even know about missing links yet, so it's it's pretty in the baby stages yet. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I, I I cut him off right at the bat, and I said, I said, well, you know, I got a problem with all the churches, all the churches around that you see, you know, have whatever going on, because all of them are sold out to the 501c3 tax exemption, which limits them to speaking politically. He knew right away what I was talking about. He agreed, and he put his head down to say, yeah, you know, I know how that is, and, uh, but we talk about all this stuff, you know, outside, you know, in our own little circles within the church, just, you know, not the, the pastor doesn't say it during sermon and stuff. I said, well, why would I want to go to some place that will compromise themselves? So what you guys already know is corrupt and antichrist. To, to hear you speak a bunch of googly gob all, uh, on Sunday and then pass around a tray saying, I need some tax-exempt shekels passed in there. And I just told him right there, I said, well, what appeals to that? You know, you, you got a church that's selling out. You, you agree that it's selling out, but you want me to come there. You know, so that's a good way to approach people right away. I didn't, I'm not going to come at them with anything yet, you know, because obviously this dude's way pro-Israel yet. But I'll work on him sooner and later here and see where you can get him at. Just bring him here, Mike. Tell him, this is my church. You come any night. It, it'll it'll that'll certainly be coming soon. I'll uh, just say, hey, why don't you uh, jump on here once and uh, see what he says. I'm waiting. There's going to be a big meeting they're all going to have, and I guess it's supposed to be a couple hundred people, and I think that's the day, because if I just try to deal with him and, and kind of show my hand to him by himself, I might not get into the bigger group, and if I get into the bigger group, that's when I can just drop, the, drop it right there and everybody at once. You know, so I, I can hopefully get... Some, you know, if he doesn't agree to it and he's like, screw this guy, he's an anti-Semite or whatever the case is, at least I'll have the opportunity to have been into that group, boom, and hit them all with that, you know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly, of course, you can drop the J-bomb. <laughs> well, well, you know, if he's aware of all these things, the best thing to do is maybe just have a discussion with him about all the Jews behind all those things, right? Yeah, I'm working to that. I'm working to that. I, um, I've only talked to him like two, well, maybe three or four times now, but that'll certainly come. That'll certainly come. And if the Jews had so much money and power and influence, what makes you think they wouldn't just um, corrupt Christianity with some some phony Bible notes? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, I mean, it, the evidence isn't too hard to show somebody. It's just whether or not they're so programmed as to just shut down on it, you know. But, right. So, like, and, and to explain how Schofield came into being and, and um, 
Bollinger, I, I, that really isn't very hard. Once you get them to listen, well, once you get somebody to listen to the conspiratorial thing, and, and they see that something's wrong with the USS Liberty and 9/11, I think that that's a big eye opener, and, and that they could be um, that they could be introduced to other truths, right? Yeah, that's why I, I've always had a really good luck with starting off with missing links. Like I said, these just the USS Liberty event in itself. Once you work from there, you know, and then then you work to the Holocaust. And once they realize, you know, once you hit that stage at the Holocaust, you pretty much realize, screw these Jews, <laughs> you know. And then it's like, well, they, you know, there's no way they're God's chosen people at this point, and the doors open right there, you know? and rightfully so. That's um, you know a chain of events I've seen that have worked for a lot of people, including some that are sitting in here right now. Well, well, right. It's amazing how many people 9-11 brought to, to Christian identity. That, that Too bad they're not all here. A lot of them are over with Eli, but oh well. I'm just teasing. I find the people that are that are right in the head will come around and um, will we'll jump on the right side of the fence. They might, they might be a little confused right now, but there, there are some in there that Eli can have and keep, so. <laughs> yeah, there are some. It, it's, um... Uh, I don't know, Bill G. String and, and Warrior Son of Daisy. I'm, I'm picking on their names, right? Uh, I'm going to pull a wince that it, it's um that they that I thought they were better than they turned out to be. I thought they were better, um, more discernible men than what they turned out to be. And and yes, I have no problem saying that on a recorded program. And, and if they ever want to talk about it, they should come try and do that. Yeah, can you imagine Christ going up to the money changers and saying, gee, you know, maybe you, people shouldn't have these tables here, you know, selling your Jew wares, right? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be here. You know, he he, he made a whip. Well, well, right, that's one example. We should never be ashamed of our convictions. We should never be ashamed of, of the gospel. And if Christ says that every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up, we shouldn't say that they're going to be sent off to a retirement home to retire peacefully until they die. That, that's just not, that, that's just a denial of the gospel. It, it's a soft peddling, and, and you're just seeking to tickle people's ears so that you don't offend people. Well, well the, the apostles weren't put to death because they were avoiding offending people. That they weren't put to death because they were teaching peace, love, and joy. You're either going to seek the freedom of the truth in Christ or you're going to reject it. And then soft pedal it. And I'm not about soft pedaling anything. Don't everybody get quiet on me now. Bill hmm. G-Strings. Robert, you had something? I don't know if it's a big deal. I just kind of was fascinated today. They had a 4th of July celebration. I know they probably have that in many cities around the country. I'm in California on the coast. And um, I didn't go to it today. I had to actually get get stuff ready for work tomorrow, but my landlady and my landlord and the, her daughter and 
and her son-in-law went over to the celebration. I, I was kind of thinking because I went to it last year and it was it was pretty much dominated by Mexicans. They went over there this year and evidently they, their their family was pretty much the only white people in the whole place. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I guess we could write Monterey off, huh? Well, it's not just that. I'm just, you know, because this is more or less Central California. Just the, the whole thing has gotten to the point where there's so few whites, I, I just don't know how the whole thing stays together unless they're just hiding somewhere and making things work. Well, well, I've been, re you know, I, I've been hearing that that a lot of whites had fled were, or were fleeing California to get away from the taxes and were going to Nevada and, and Utah and Colorado. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I I heard a couple of years ago. Well, it's just as crowded as ever here in Monterey. I, I, it, what fascinates me is, the, I mean, the population is actually probably higher. It's just that the whites and uh, the blacks have pretty much been displaced by the Mexicans. Well, well, Dean is in the Pacific Northwest, and she's saying that they're coming up there. So, <laughs> yeah, there it's it's uh, phenomenal. I mean, this is this is an all out this is an all out racial war. And I, I still don't think these liberal whites, they're still not getting it. And I, it just, I don't know what point it's going to get to before they finally do get it. <laughs> well, well you, you know something, when their own daughters are raped, maybe some of them will wake up. That, that's, when their sons are raped, maybe a few more of them will wake up. Yeah, you know, that's, it's crazy that their liberals are... are and, uh, I mean, the Jew Michael Savage is right. Liberalism is a mental disorder. It really is. Yeah, I just really think that solves the problem because I've been to some churches where there have been issues like that that have happened, and then they go and they embrace this person that just raped their daughter. All right. right. So Quite often they do that. They end up going the wrong way. Yeah, you can be saved. You just say, just you ask for forgiveness from Jesus, and the blacks probably looking at them like they're complete idiots. Well, of course the blacks know they're complete idiots. You know, so that so that so they just set them up to rape the next daughter. You know. Yep. I don't know, Bill. It's 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 really fascinating. It's really a quite a blindness, and a, a, as as um. Well, well, Robert, there's no way that that a race so intelligent, which is capable of producing so much culture, so much technology, so many excellent things, could be so blind, except for the providence of God. That, that's yeah, the only absolutely. way I see it. Is that God is true. Yep. You're, he uh, said they were going to be right. punished for their iniquities, and they are. And, and the blindness, it, it has to be God-instilled. Otherwise, God there's... When he's going to release it, because it just it just seems to me it's just insanity at this point. These people are really, they're literally insane. Well, yes, they are. It's incredible. I'm not sure what, you know, I mean... I'm, I'm thinking if things fall apart, I just I don't imagine that the demographics are going to are going to revert back to a white population on the coastline. I guess it's just going to end up being uh, something like Mexico, where everyone's just shooting one another. Well, I certainly don't see a reversal of uh, the trends. The, the only reversal is when Yahshua returns, plain and simple. There, there's no other way around it.
Yeah, just you know, if you look at this from an invading army standpoint, they they definitely have have succeeded without doing it without even really firing a shot. I mean, I'm absolutely still still fat flabbergasted at the demographics change here since 1992 when it was 95 percent white. Now it's just totally taken over. I know I've been over this before, but I it just got back here and it's even worse now. It's it's unbelievable. I didn't think it could get worse than last year. Well, considering the trend, it's even if we had the backing of much of the politicians in government, if we actually had a push um, within the legal system to try and correct this, I think that it's much like our birth rate. the The process is irreversible at this point. Yeah, that's that's true because the birth. I put. I mean, mostly the white whites are are breeding with non-whites. Period. Right, because it's no longer it's no longer a political issue. It's it's much deeper rooted, and because our own people, uh, I mean, have our own our thought processes are like you said, borderline insane. You know, how are you going to, that can't be reversed politically. It isn't even being reversed by our churches. As, as a matter of fact, the ideas are being cemented into place. So, you know, it, it's, I, I wanted to start by saying, uh, you know, happy Independence Day, buddy, but um, it's another holiday that depresses the hell out of me, much like Christmas, because it's commercially observed. The, the whole purpose for it is uh, out the window. Nobody even sees it for what it's supposed to be. You know, seeing all these beautiful fireworks and me knowing what what the fireworks are supposed to actually represent, you know, and everybody is just, ooh, wow, pretty, you know. No, that's, they're supposed to represent the sounds of war, you know, explosions and, and death. And that's what it took to preserve this country for our Christian posterity. And well, well, like I told, well, like Bob and I had talked about all last month. If you go to the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, and if you didn't know anything about American history, you would think that the American Revolution was fought to free the niggers from slavery. Everything in between is missing. Yeah, I guess my conclusion to the 4th of July is I'll celebrate the 4th of July when we're free from these Jews. Um, right, well, when the and, Federal Reserve is put to rest. And, you know, and there's, more than, there's more than a dozen whites that understand what's going on. I mean, I feel like we have like a dozen people in the U.S. that seem to know what's going on, and the rest of them are just totally clueless. Well, you think we if go to Philadelphia, you'd think that we um, fought the revolution to free the blacks, free the slaves. Yeah, it, it free the blacks, and then the, 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 the National Constitution Center was just loaded with Jews. I mean, it was a phenomenal number of uh, Jews there. With and, and nothing about the Constitution. No, nothing. A couple of lines that. taken out of context. The shrine to like Roosevelt, that was incredible. I, I don't remember how much there was on Alexander Hamilton, but there's probably another one there, you know. I didn't see anything on Hamilton. I, I think I remember seeing one little plaque about him being killed and executed, the first Treasury section, something like that. Uh, maybe it, they it, don't want that out. I mean, he did start the, fir what, the first national bank, right? 
Well, he was a primary mover and shaker, and I guess. Yeah, he was in the Jews' hip pocket, that's for sure. I've always considered a traitor. Oh, definitely. It's questionable over whether he had Jewish blood, but but it's very possible. His mother was married to a Jewish right around the time she conceived him. And, and um, his mother was married to a Jew right around the time she conceived him. And, and it's it, it's um, on the cusp, right? Yeah, of course, again, they really uh, don't like Burr. They blast him in history books. Yeah, you always got to take another look at those guys that um that they blast in history book in Jewish history books. <laughs> and they're usually the good guys. No, but that's my that's my take on the Fourth of July. Is that we're going to have another Fourth of July, and that's when we're going to be able to celebrate the expulsion of all these alien races, but primarily the Jew has to be displaced, and our people have to wake up. We oh, there's a displacement up. coming, but I don't think we're going to be the ones doing that. I mean, I, I think it's going to take an act of God to um, upset the apple cart at, the, at first, at least. You know what? I still think we're going to lose the east and west coast totally, because I don't see anything to recover on either coast even though I tend to live on the coast. Portsmouth, New Hampshire, maybe. Bahaba. Bahaba, <laughs> yeah, but all the bushes are up there. They need to be toast. Yes, the Jews have taken over um, the main coast, they, the yuppies, the Jews. They've taken over all of the two, bottom two-thirds of Vermont. You can't touch anything on the main coast without a couple of million dollars. It's crazy. Well, I, I find consolation in the fact that, you know, it's not prophesied that we're all going to be uh, absolutely destitute and, and dying of thirst or starvation or whatever, or we're, you know, in the in the middle of some kind of nuclear holocaust. It, it's... It states that, you know, we'll be working in the fields, we'll be working in the mills, uh, giving and taking in marriage, and he's going to come like a thief in the night, and we're, we're not going to know when. So, you know, it could, it, as far as I'm concerned, it could be any day now, or, or you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, we're, I'm not looking forward to a, a much worse situation. So hopefully it'll be soon. Yeah. Well, well, right. The hawkers of doom and gloom aren't, aren't um, being honest with themselves either. We've already been invaded. The invasion's already here. It's already gone on. Yeah, the invasion's here, but I, I, it doesn't seem to me from looking at what uh, Ezekiel says and, and how Babylon falls that it's going to be, everyone's just going to be wandering around and it's going to be all wonderful for the remaining groups of people that are the whites that are left. Yeah, I, I had uh, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine the other day with him and his wife and and uh, you know neither one of them can stand Obama and uh, my friend's wife goes on to say well I hope he doesn't get reelected 
And all I can say is, and quite honestly, I hope he does, because if he does, it's just going to precipitate the the, uh, the collapse of, of this economy even quicker. Well, he has no opposition right now. I mean, the Republicans aren't running anybody that's worth a dime. People, and they're not going to. No, I don't think they will either, because I think part of the part of the objective is destruction, and Obama's doing such a fantastic job at his uh, his with his Jewish handlers um, that uh, I think that uh, he'll just continue right where he is. Well, not only that, I look at Obama as the Jews' symbol to the world, how they have us under their heel and have a dog rule over us. Yeah, well, they've had dogs ruling over us before, but I guess Obama really is the epitome. Yeah, he's an apparent dog, right? Yeah. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt looked white. I'll tell you what, though. His wife, she's a super dog. Wow, I don't know how a woman could be so unattractive. No, that's a super ape. I'm probably going to have to go and publicly apologize now for making such a comment, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't know how a woman could be as unattractive as Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, right, Corsican, so it said because she's not a woman. That's that's a... um, very good possibility. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be something if she was some sort of drag queen? Transgender drag queen. It's possible. I mean, there's been a lot of reports about Obama being kind of on the other side. Oh, I think that guy was telling the truth. That Larry, what's his face, and the limousine driver, Larry the limo driver, whatever the hell he was. Yeah, I don't know. I remember hearing those reports of his on the, on the radio back in what in, in Elkton, and and um, I thought he was telling the truth. Why would he lie? I, I, I couldn't imagine why he would lie about that at that point. Larry Sinclair had a steamy love affair. Yeah, I thought the guy was credible. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Uh, that Pastor Manning, that black pastor, he went off. <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. I heard he had another big anti-white tirade. Is that true? Anti-white or anti-black? Anti-white, I heard. I, I don't know. That's what I heard on a, in an email. I just read the email, so I, I may have misconstrued it. Uh, I just um, looked down it. Probably anti-black if it's Manning. No, this is, um, what's this face? It's not Manning, it's, um... That that clown that was Obama's pastor in, in Chicago. Oh, he could surely have a hat of anti-white. Yeah, somebody was saying in an email the other day, I didn't go look at it, though, that he had another anti-white white tirade. I forget his name. I thought his last name was Manning also. Reverend Wright? Jeremiah Wright. That's his name. Thank you, Clifton. You know, I I wonder why uh, Eli can't understand Daniel. Daniel said the kingdom wouldn't be left to any other people. Yeah, well, Eli has a lot of problems with his theology because it's a theology that's contrived 
to make people of other races comfortable. What was the CI message? So that he could have a wider audience. Yeah, there's an option. Well, I'm kind of glad he's writing what he's writing because the more he, the more he writes that uh, bullshit, uh, the more people are going Well, he's probably just going to bury himself, Clifton. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, keep keep shoving your feet further in your mouth. mouth. Although I do kind of miss the uh, discussions on the reptilians and the UFO stuff. and <laughs> I'm sure he's still giving them out on one, on one program or another. He's not all set stuff altogether. So, so I have straight, I mean, you're, you're, uh, Bill, you're saying there is a possibility that Babylon's going to fall apart and there's not going to be any destruction? Destruction. Well, well, no, the, the possibility of destruction is imminent, but the, the key for us is when does the destruction happen? Yeah, you know, does it happen at the return of Christ, where, where his people are immediately victorious and don't really suffer at the hands of, of the, um, the beasts and, and the system? And, and I think that's what Matt is driving at, is when... Babylon falls in relation to um, how soon the return of Christ is after that, right? Oh, I don't know. It seems to me that Babylon falls, then there's a rebuilding and then there's the return of Christ. That's the way I always look at it. Well, Greece could be the first uh, domino. No, I think you've just got some Judeo baggage there, Bob, with that, that thousand year thing. That you have that stuck in your head. That's what I think. That that revival, that thousand-year revival. No, I'm not talking about a thousand-year revival. I'm thinking that we have seven months to clean up the mess, and eventually Christ returns. It doesn't, I don't see anything about Christ returning in Ezekiel, and that's pretty descriptive. Well, well, it says that he will cleanse his people. He will cleanse the land, right? I mean, it doesn't have an, ex an explicit description of his return, but he takes credit and, and says that he's the one that's going to sanctify his people when they're overcome with these beasts. Yeah, see, there's a passage there in the 38th and 39th chapter of Ezekiel that I'm going to show the heathen that I loved Israel. Well, yes. uh, his return would be showing that. So it, it's possible that those those events could be uh, simultaneous. Well, I just never took it to be that way. Well, it could be, and, and that's what I think it's it's pointing to. That's how I've always taken Ezekiel. I'll be talking about it when I get to Matthew 24 at length. Matthew 24 is going to be a... Um, a, a difficult chapter that I won't be able to deal with entirely conclusively because of the nature of the chapter. I mean, it's a hard chapter. Well, that would, well, that, that, would, make, that, would that would make sense in the confusion that I have on what in the world would work the whites up. Because right now I look around and I don't see anything except a little return of Christ that could possibly wake the whites up. I just don't see anything that you could do, that anybody could say. Uh, you could have uh, 20 billion... 
white Christians come back to life again and be evangelizing to the world, and they still wouldn't believe it. Well, well, right. No, no man is going to wake the whites up. It's going to, it, it's going to be an act of God that causes them to become awake. If if men are the vehicle that God works through or not, it's definitely going to be an act of God that's going to wake them up and, and make them wonder why. Well, if the population is going to increase from about 7 billion people to 1 billion people, it seems like that would wake somebody up. Well, what the 1 billion going to be? There's not 1 billion whites. Oh, there, we we have we have to represent uh, what percentage would that be? That'd be about um, what twelve percent. Do you think that the the world right now is twelve percent white? I don't think it's I don't think it's that. Not not if you, if you might have to include some of those people who Eli one time would. <laughs> I, I don't want any, I don't want a single one of those. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, though, in other generations, well, it, here's the thing, though. Uh, well, when he comes back, there's a certain amount of resurrection takes place too. So, uh, but uh, you take and and there's no niggers anymore, and there's no Chinese anymore, or there's no mixed race anymore. It seems to me that would wake people up. They'd, I think they'd say, well, maybe we were wrong. Well, doesn't it, you know, it, it says that uh, every tongue will profess and every knee will bend. And I, I, I personally think that extends beyond just Adamites. You know, he will prove himself to all the rest of these people, too, before they're thrown in the lake of fire. I'm sure he will make them admit and profess as to who he is. Uh, well, that one passage in Revelation there, uh, where it talks about that uh, they will worship at your feet, I, I believe that was fulfilled when... Uh, See that when the kings, when the Jews were in the ghetto and trying to infiltrate to the kings and stuff, a lot of them become their 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 doctors, you know. That they were chattel property of the kings of Europe. And they had to bow before that king, just like everybody else. The Jews were chattel property of the kings of Europe, and that's when that passage was fulfilled. That situation was a, a thousand-year situation. I think their judgment is just going to be that they're going to die. That's what the scripture Once says. Already de dead, there's no resurrection. Yeah, I guess I could have that wrong. I was always thinking that when this whole event took place, that we would just end up ending our coastlines. Well, we've already lost our coastlines. No, but I mean literally, just like a Sodom and Gomorrah burning up.
Well, that would be nice, and and that uh, I will discuss the possibility of that on on my, when I elucidate um, Matthew chapter twenty four. Well, I think it will be like Sodom and Gomorrah, except it'll be real surgical. It might be twenty feet away from some guy that gets burned up and won't touch you. Yeah, I've always envisioned that possibility, too. Well, well, that's the natural outcome of looking and, and when two women are weaving, one is taken and another is left behind, or two men are in the field and one is taken and another is left behind, or, and that, that's why we have that image, right? I guess Larry Burkett and Bernie, and uh, what's the other guy's name? They're going to be taken. <laughs> and Obama left behind. So oh, with the Left Behind series? Oh, Tim oh. LaFay, yeah, Tim LaHaye. Yeah. Was it Tim LaHaye and Larry Burkett? Right. Well, I want to I wanna be left behind. You know, in, in Second Ezra, it says, Blessed is he that is left behind. Yeah, but that doesn't sell books. <laughs> It says it about eight times. It doesn't say it just once. It says it over and over and over. And I'll tell you what, having buried body for seven months sounds like when a tenant's free running for it forever. Well, some of these guys that know how to run a bulldozer, they're going to have to get them busy. Well, from my perspective out here, there's really not much you can do. I mean, if I'm looking at what would have to be done right now in, Cal in, the, area, in the area of the California that I, I see, you'd literally get rid of 90% uh, of the population or more. I can remember when California was a beautiful place. Well, yeah, quickly, so that's some serious time there. It's just that uh, now you've got all these next to I mean, everywhere you go, you're speaking, uh, you have to speak Spanish. And they're never going to um, become part of our culture. That's never going to happen. They just brought Mexico with them is all they've done. Well, so many of our urban areas are nothing but the toilet that needs to be flushed. Oh, there you go. In a way, I think the Almighty's bringing them here to to show them that he loved Israel. Oh, just to destroy them? Just, just before they die. He says, I'm going, yeah, to show that I'm going to show that he... I don't know what... You know, I don't know uh, why the Almighty feels that way, but he, he evidently going to get some satisfaction out of the heathen knowing who Israel is. They're going to find out who Israel is before a lot of us. Well, that's, that's kind of part of what I was saying earlier when I, when I said that. In the end, he, he, he will show that every knee will bend and, that, and every, you know, every tongue will profess him before, before they are shown their own judgment. Yeah, but won't do them any good. Well, that's like, well, that's like getting the, the murderer to uh, admit his guilt before he gets off the 
I swiped the icing on the cake. I, I always heard that in the sense that every knee left would bend. Which includes all of our resurrected race, right? Yeah, see, there's a lot of people who are racing straightened up. Oh, sure. Well, to me, it, honestly, it doesn't matter either way. Because even, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to even remotely come close to thinking that this, you know, might be the back door of letting in uh, uh, mansers and mongrels and things of that nature. It's, it's just, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, where you know, every knee will bend regardless of you know, and, uh, and it could be really either really way. It could be, you know, after no, they're all taken and then all then Israel, Israel then realize who they, they are. are. But, uh, but I think either way, way is very suitable. Well, you know, uh, sometimes the word every doesn't mean. You know, and maybe the person ought to go to that passage of script and see what else it's talking about because, uh, uh, you know, the. Uh, that's one of the things about Scripture. First thing you want to know is the context, what, what it's talking about. It's like, uh, you know, Caesar taxing the whole world. Well, well you know, it's in Isaiah 45 is the first place it appears, right? And that's where Paul quotes it from twice. Paul's quoting it from Isaiah 45. It's in three places in the Bible. Isaiah 45, Romans 14, and Philippians 2.10. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He's only talking to Israel, right? He's talking to the dispersed of Israel. That's who this is addressed to. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the world is the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say. In Yahweh have I righteousness and strength. He's telling us what they're going to swear. Well, only Israel is going to have righteousness and strength. Well, right, the, right there, the context is Israel. Surely shall one say, In Yahweh have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And and that word men is added. Yeah, you know, and I think it means shall they come, meaning Israel, which is ye saved, that he's telling, look unto me. And all that are incensed against him, all the other races, shall be ashamed, or, or put to shame, be disconcerted, disappointed. In Yahweh shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So it's everybody else is ashamed when every Israelite, me, those people who have righteousness, bows to Yahweh. And that's what Paul's quoting in Romans 14 and Philippians 2.10. It has nothing to do with the other races. Eli would like it to do with the other races, but it doesn't. Well, that's, well, that's definitely an all-encompassing uh, set of verses, for sure. I mean, for I mean that. That pretty much sums it up there. Well, even I like to check the context of Scripture, and, and that's a good rule before we start running on out, because often it doesn't 
say what we think we remember it says if we haven't read it in a year or two, right? We'd better go back and look at it before we start talking about it. That, that's a good practice. The, another good rule is, is the, the rule of first mention. You run into a new subject, you know, and you don't know where to go to. Go to the first place in the Bible where that subject is mentioned. Well, well, there, that's the only place you have to go to because it only appears in the Old Testament once, and Paul mentions it twice, but both times, that's the passage he has in mind. That would be the first mention. Yeah, yeah, right, but I mean, that's the only possible context because that's the only place it appears in, in the Old Testament. Well, I got a lot of good cross-reference uh, material. I got one one whole book of uh, nothing but cross-references. You know, I, my Bible, it's a world Bible, and, and it's got a pretty good uh, cross-reference in it. You know, the newer world Bibles, I looked at them, and, and they're no good at all. Well, I guess I'm a bum because I don't use cross-reference material. Sorry. Uh, I just rely on my word search skills, right? Well, you do pretty good at it, too. Uh, uh, I'm not quite that good at it, so I have to rely on uh, going and check out all the cross-references. Because you, you can, it, it can take you some places you didn't expect to go. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I got turned off from some cheap um, Southern Baptist Bible I had in prison that um, had the worst damn cross-references in the world. And I, I would never use them. <laughs> you, you'd go look at where they're sending you, and you, you read the two passages, and they have nothing at all to do with each other, right? That they might have one word that that's similar, but it's an adjective, and it, that there's no relation between the passages. They, they do that all the time. I have a I have a study Bible like that, and the only reason I keep it around is because uh, um, it actually um, it, it discusses at pretty decent length uh, the tetragrammaton on uh, its relationship to the the I am part part of. Uh, Exodus, you know, the burning, burning story and all that. But that, that, that's, that's, the only, uh, <laughs> that's the only good point about it. Well, some of those classical references, that that one cross-reference Clifton um, elucidated that time, and that Zondervan Classic Reference Bible has that, and, and they stopped printing that Bible, Zondervan, from what I understand. And, and that was actually a good cross-reference. And, and some of them are good, because some of those scholars in the 1800s, that they really did have their act together. But, but um, as time wore on, and, and Schofieldism and, and Bullingerism permeated Christianity, the cross-references got worse and worse. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend a Schofield cross-reference at all. I've got a Schofield Bible that used Belonged to my wife's grandmother. She was she was a great Christian, you know. But uh, I don't think much of the, the 
I, I keep the Bible in case if, if I want to know something about Schofield, I might be able to find it in there. Okay, good night, good night, good night, good night, good night, good night, good uh, that Bible. Long to that Lotus Club up in New York. That was the branch of the Illuminati. Jacob Schiff helping. Samuel Untermeyer. That is the real bastard. Yeah, Samuel Untermeyer. Right, Colonel House was in the mix too somewhere. Well, Untermeyer was what was um, involved in getting Brandeis into the Supreme Court and a, a lot of influence over the Wilson administration and a lot of that treachery, and and, and he was also involved in financing Schofield. Well, the 14th Protocol says that there'll be an ever-religion. Hello, Tammy. Well, well, absolutely, and they are in every religion. They've created most of the false religions, I think. I think Harry Krishna and garbage like that, yeah, they might be um, legitimate um, for Indians, but the, uh, I credit the Jews that brought all that garbage here in the 60s and, yeah, and made know, it popular. I'm, I'm checking this Chinese stuff, you know, that, uh, that uh, China shipping company, you know, and... Uh, there's a Jew uh, uh, mixed into that thing. Of course there is. His name was Sandsberg. S-A-N-D, I think there's a net. Is it S-A-N-D-B-U-R-G or S-A-N-D-S-B-U-R-G? But anyway, there's no Chinese by that name. No. No. Oh, not at all. He's right, right, right. So I think all that... Uh, uh, Chinese, uh, those big ships that they're building and those container uh, cars and stuff that they're, uh, uh, they've got some huge container cars, you know, they, they take it right off. They're building a, a big thing that they, they can bring in by rail over here to North Baltimore and then uh, pull them off the rails and, and hook them right up to the back of the trucks and drive away. Yeah, they only, yeah, they only uh, actually, according to, like, I guess, I think it's Homeland, Homeland Security, Security. Um, um, they're only allowed, allowed to inspect one out of every 100, 100 containers, or 1,000 containers, I'm not sure. Not sure. Well, no, that's well, convenient, because when I came to California, they were inspecting they every car coming through, Cross the border. Yeah, but I don't want to inspect one out of a hundred Chinese ships. And guess what? A Mexican got to inspect my car. Wow. Tell me that isn't backwards. Well, that's all you need to do is go to the border of Canada, and you can watch all of the tractor trailers just zoom right through the border, right across the border. Meanwhile, they're piling over every passenger car. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense. 
well, they're checking all these state. white people at the airports, you know, like that little girl that they was uh all the private parts. And they let these ships come in and never inspect the stuff. Yeah, this interview with um, Costco, the Chinese overseas shipping company, has been in place since the uh, Clinton administration. Well, before that, it, it, uh, I, I ran across some, you know, I didn't know too much about that. And I ran across a little booklet, and this guy really laid it out uh, real good. And I'm right, I am in the process now. I went to the internet to see if I could find it, and it's not there. And so I'm in the process of uh, scanning it. I got it about a little over half scan now. And um, I hope to have that put on my website. It's that good. Because they're getting, they're get, actually, uh, that company is just a branch of the, uh, what do they call it, the People's uh, Army over there? I forget what. Most Chinese companies are partially, at least partially owned by the People's Republic Army of China. Yeah, the, yeah, the People's Republic uh, Army. Army. And that shit company connects the direct to it. Well, absolutely, because there are no private corporations in China. And old Bill Clinton, he, he was right in the middle of that, uh, promoting that Long Beach thing and, and, and some other ports there to Chinese takeover. And the, well, that's, the Chinese. How fed, that's how he fed them all our uh, uh, missile and satellite technology. Well, this guy mentions that, that in this little book, and that... And, and he was writing back about 95 uh, to 2000. Yeah, that's, that's actually when I was pretty uh, involved in, in doing a lot of research along those lines. Well, if I put this out, it'll serve kind of like a history book on the subject. Uh, like a primer, you know, for a first grader or something. Uh when when I was putting out this information, pretty much as as it was going on, so to speak, you know, I lost a lot of friends over nobody nobody believed me as it was going on. This guy back back there at that time, he was trying to get my, get a certain amount of money to fight it, you know. And, he had a place on his book right in and become a member and all that, but I've never I've never found out where it went. It went. You know, Birch Society and a lot of that stuff, you know, dropped by the wayside. A lot of guys have tried to, you know, people just don't want to listen to it. The, Right, and, right. and any organized, organized resistance, so to speak, was infiltrated by the Fed by the year 2000. There's no doubt about it. The, the 90s were, you know, you saw your greatest 
influx in membership in uh, militias and uh, growth in the amount of militia groups, but by the by 2000, most of them had disappeared or gone back on the ground because so many were infiltrated by the feds and, and other outside people. Well, Clinton and the Gore was in it real, real deep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're out. Out. I've already... Uh, I've already started some searches on the internet, and and uh, pretty much everything the guy's saying. I did a write up on uh, Bill Clinton's trail of fellow bodies he left behind him since uh, he was governor of Arkansas. Yeah, that uh, uh, was running. He was running dope down there in Arkansas, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was in the thick of it. I thought that count was over 100. It was called the kiss of death before it was removed from the Internet. I don't know. I only remember it being in the 30s or 40s from Rodney Stitch's book, Defrauding America, that I read in prison in 1990-something. 98, maybe. And, and this, the old issues of the spotlight attributed 30, 40, 50 deaths to mysterious deaths of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, well the whole um, Vince Foster thing. Yeah, well, that was always at the top of the list. Well, here's a little, bit, a little tidbit of information for you, too. The, um, the first two quote-unquote FBI agents who were shot on site at Waco were former Secret Service agents who threatened to blow the whistle on Bill. And these first two guys were the ones who uh, the government claims were shot by people from the inside. But um, I, I'm pretty sure there was some kind of... Uh, on the certificate of death, death. Uh, whether I'm whether not sure whether it was the autopsy or something having to do with their their death certificate, um, there was nothing conclusively proven that they were even shot front. If anything, there was mention of them being shot in the back. I mean, when they was climbing up on that roof that they showed on television so much there, and they they were being shot, they were getting shot in the back and instead of the front. Yes, yes. They they had to climb up the ladder to get on a on a roof and then to go into a window if I remember right. Yes, yes. Well that that whole thing was rigged because they waited till a windy day and then they took a tank and they went they went and punched holes in all the buildings and all they had to do was throw throw some uh Gasoline or something in there, and 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 take and have a draft, put a draft in the building, and it's going to burn burn down fast. And yeah, it, they wanted to burn that building. They wanted to kill all those people. Well, do you remember what flag was, was flying over the, the quote unquote compound? compound? No, I don't remember that. 
the star of the world. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the Jews basically they were more they were pissed more over the fact that Christ decided to fly the Jewish flag. Well, I was following that somewhat as uh, the uh, incident up there in Idaho, where that uh, horror Uchi uh, shot that woman. From a helicopter. There was a Randy Weaver. Yeah, Randy Weaver. I don't think he shot her from a helicopter, did he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. After when he shot her, I believe. Well, uh, shot their uh, son in the back, and he, uh, the, uh, the infant baby through the head while she was in the mother's arm. Mother's arm. China man shot the. Mrs. Weaver, while well, she's Japanese. Japanese. Well, yeah, Uchi. Same thing, right? You know, well, you know it's it's a suit that came later, and and actually it didn't even come come to fruition until almost ten years later. Imagine that, that uh, the the Weaver family or the remainder of the Weaver family won their won their against the government. government. Yeah, that's a yeah. pre victory, if there ever was one. Yeah, and of course yeah, it really wasn't recorded on at all. You know, it really big to find it. Yeah, you know, most people would read it and say, well, what the hell is the hell about it now? What, what, Randy Weaver? Who's that? Who's that? He was set up to by an FBI agent. I was listening to Tom Valentine at that time and reporting on a lot of it. And I've got a couple of videos that the people that really knew what was going on, they tell about it. Well, yeah, ultimately it was, it was over him buying a sawed-off shotgun that was a quarter of an inch too short, according to the letter of the law, which was sold to him by an undercover agent. For the specific purpose of catching him and breaking a gun law. Actually, actually what the deal was is that um, they, the FBI agent, undercover agent, wanted him to saw it off and saw it yeah. off and sold it back to him. But he pestered him for months to saw it, to saw it yeah. off. And then they wanted him to turn state's evidence against Aryan nations, and he turned him down, and so they ended up raiding him instead. Because sure is same a shame that uh, they had to kill kill his boy and then kill that baby. That's stooping pretty low. Even yeah, shot his, his wife. They take delight in doing that stuff. Mrs. Weaver was pregnant, right? She's I don't know whether she. she Pregnant or not? I think she was. The baby she was holding. I, I I didn't think they killed. Did they kill the baby she was holding and her? Yeah. You can't tell me that guy couldn't see her through the soap real plain. What he was shooting. 
Well, you know, well, you such know, instances as Waco, Waco and, and Ruby Ridge, they're, they're, they're all, all um, social tests, so to speak. You know, they need to, they want to see how far they can push the envelope. What, you know, how far you can, you can push the sentence of the then American people. Well, I hate to bug you, but the feedback's terrible. Is that coming for me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking a look at this, and uh, one of the pages I found uh, claims that it's uh, the body count with the Clintons was as high as uh, 85. I thought it had surpassed 100 at one, at one point, but... Well, 85 is high enough when you have that many unexplained bodies in a trail, in, in a political trail, and nobody's actually um, done anything about it, but with any honesty. Yeah, I like the ones that where they die in hunting accidents, but they've never been hunting. Yeah. Those are the good ones, you know. And the people that shot themselves in the chest mysteriously. Suicide. You guys heard about the cocaine operation they were running down in Arkansas, right? Yeah. Me yeah. So they were actually running that for the bush, bushes. From what I had heard about that. Is that true, Mike? I don't know if they were running it for the bushes or they were all just in bed together. I didn't catch yeah. that part. From what I've read, they were in bed together. Because I remember the statement that Clinton made when he was kind of caught, and he said, well, it's a federal operation. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I guess I could end this recording now that we've really um, taken it to, to the next level. I mean, it's almost three hours. Thanks for um, listening, everybody, and we could go to the open house or something. Yahweh bless. Hey, everyone. This song's for Eli. Fight the 
Chain drum, we'll win the war and be the soul. Fight as a woman, heart and soul. Midnight man, the love of To keep this land your own. Fly on the horn and call the cry. How many of us can we Thank you. 